Okay, on the couch right now, I need you to point at the control freak, right? Like it's one of you in the relationship. It's always someone. Whenever I'm in public, I have like a low grade anxiety to make sure that we're doing the right things at the right times, getting to an airport on time, checking bags. I am wound up tight. Melissa, on the other hand, is free-flowing. She's just happy to be wherever she's at. She's talking to people, making friends. Meanwhile, I'm trying to keep us on a strict schedule, right? Like, my office books are literally alphabetized. My style would be clean and modern, everything put away and in its place. One of you has more controlling aspects than the other, right? It's the one who's on the passenger side of the car trying to find the imaginary break. Uh, which is obviously me all of the time. I saw this meme this week and uh, it was a little too real, but it said, uh, during quarantine, my wife and I are playing this fun game called, why do you do it that way? There are no winners. <laughs> we are in our last week uh, of our series, Spiritual But Not Religious. We've been exploring some of these concepts about how we think about God, how we interact with God, how our beliefs in something bigger than ourselves actually come down to our behaviors. And while you may say that you don't subscribe to the religious idea of God, anything spiritual becomes religious in nature for us, just simply out of our own human behavior. As we wrap up, we're going to take a cue from last week because when we we say we believe in a higher power, in a God, and someone who is spiritually above us. Saying we believe is one thing, but do our actions confirm that belief? In other words, do the things that we do match up with the things that we say that we believe? Do we have our habits ordered in a right relationship with this higher power spirit that we serve? I think, though, to some extent, if we're honest, we're all control freaks. We all like to control some part of our lives, whether it's the way our days are run, our diets, our relationships, our downtime. We put a lot of stake in our freedom, in our own personal rights to be in control. I think that for a lot of this coronavirus, that's one of the most unnerving pieces, is coming to the end of ourselves and realizing how little control we actually have. We're not in control of our kids getting educated. We're doing our best, but we're certainly not in control of it. We're not in control of what's in stock at the grocery stores, right? It's pea soup again because that's all the ingredients that we could find. It upsets us when we aren't in control of those areas of our lives that seemingly shouldn't ruffle our feathers, but undoubtedly they do. But this God, this spirit, this higher power from every vantage point and in every incarnation is not a God who shares control. He's downright demanding. He has expectations. He wants our life to fall in line with his created order of the world. And a failure to do so does not end well. Which is why people who are spiritual but not religious are also exclaiming a type of control. They want to control the God that they believe in. And so they end up inventing someone. As we've explored, the God then that you serve becomes yourself. 
So where does that leave us control freaks? How do we grapple with the control that we want in every area of our life, even if it's the smaller piece of it? How do we learn to surrender to a higher power, to a divine rhythm, to a flow of grace? It can be a little touch and go in a lot of different ways. Today we're going to talk about a verse that you probably have memorized. If you do, you can say it along with me. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It'll probably sound really familiar as we start reading here. It says, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. You should lean on your own understanding, and in some of your ways acknowledge him, and you can make your own paths straight. That's uh, a little bit familiar. Maybe you feel like you've heard that verse, but some words have changed. I read that one from the uh, SBNRV, the spiritual but not religious version, right? This is the version of the Bible where we translate into our actual lives. Instead of taking what Scripture says and living that out, we put what we actually believe, the way that we actually live, and we put that into the scriptures. The summary for this version of the text would be this. I'll give you some things, God, but I won't give you everything. You can have that hour on Sunday, and that's fine when it's convenient. You can have the first five minutes. You can have my quiet time. You can have the places where I go to to find rest, maybe relaxation. I'll trust you for heaven, but certainly not for earth. I trust you, but I'll still be in charge of making my own way. The harsh reality is that far too often we're propping up our own version of being spiritual but not religious. We're picking and choosing which pieces and precepts of scripture we want to have applied, that we want to exist. And you would never say this out loud, right? Because you know better than that. But our actions, our deeds, as we talked about last week, indicate that we believe in God, but we actually live like he does not exist. We live like we're our own God in charge of our own destiny. And God can have these snippets of our life, these pockets, these set-aside moments, but he's not Lord of everything when it comes right down to it. Right? I'm in charge of how I spend my time. I'm in charge of my job. I'm in charge of my family. I'm in charge of my checkbook and my money. I'm in charge of what I do with my free time. And all of these are largely leaned on my own understanding. The way in which I look at the world and seeing how I want to carve out my reality in it. So few of my decisions are filtered through seeking out God's ways before the own desires of my heart. I am far more susceptible to believing in God than I would care to admit in believing in myself. And I think that you are too. And a big piece of this is because most of us expect or we experience control over our lives and that bleeds into our actions. And so when it comes to our faith, our spirituality, this belief in a higher power, we say that we believe in God, but the actions that we take don't really line up with the statements of belief that we see in Scripture. There's some limits to our belief and our trust in what God does and who he is. And that's no different from our trust in people, honestly. 
Take Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a French tightrope walker. September 14th of 1859, he was the first to cross Niagara Falls. 11,000 feet across. That's over a quarter of a mile. He did this and there was applause, but that wasn't enough. So the next time he put a sack over his head and he went across on the tightrope. After that, he did it on stilts, which I can't even imagine. Next, he crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope on a bike. Then he did it at night. Next, he did it blindfolded. Each time, he kept upping the stakes to draw more and more attention, and people were so impressed. For his next trick, he added a wheelbarrow filled with potatoes, and he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. The story goes that on reaching the other end, there was a journalist who commented on all of Charles's astounding feats and noticing the wheelbarrow. He said, oh, I believe that you could do that with a person in the wheelbarrow. Charles, of course, responded, I believe you are correct. Why don't you hop in? Of course, the journalist said, no way. Because his belief was limited. He believed that he could do those things. He'd seen him do it thousands of times. But the faith that it takes to actually step into the wheelbarrow is different than just believing that it's possible. Much like the belief of perhaps Peter walking on water. We can say intellectually, of course we do that if Jesus called us to. But do the actions of our day-to-day life measure up with what we say that we believe in? Because while the journalist believed that Charles was capable, he wasn't willing to stake his life on it. While we believe that God is able, that he's good, that he's trustworthy, that we believe in him for eternity and salvation, do our daily actions line up? Do we actually put the weight on our belief and our trust in him? In our faith, we say we believe in God, but do we do so when it comes to our families? Do we trust God to take care of us? In the midst of what's going on right now, do we trust that God is our provider, or do we still think it depends on us? Is God our defender, or do other people's opinions matter? When someone starts a rumor about us, do we trust that the Lord's going to stand up for us, or do we have to squelch it out real quick so nobody gets the wrong idea? We want to make sure that we control what people think, what people think about us, what they think about what we do. We want to control our job, our income, what happens when things go wrong. What do we do in the midst of a pandemic and closures and all of these things that spin us around that we feel like we have to take control over? I'm not saying we don't to some extent. I'm just asking what's the relationship between our trust in God, our faith in him, and what we're experiencing right now from the perspective of being in control. It's one thing to say we believe, and it's another thing entirely to show that we believe. Thankfully, the scripture's rife with examples of how this is exactly where God wants our faith journey. See, we equate faith and certainty, but the reality is that those things are not the same. Faith is being certain of what's unseen. Once we can prove it, it's no longer faith. There's a great story in Mark that illustrates just this in Mark chapter 9. Someone stops Jesus and asks him this question. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus calls out his doubt. He says, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. 
Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think that we echo that same sentiment. Lord, we want to believe. We want to put more of our trust in you. We don't just want to say we believe. We want to put action steps there. But it's so difficult with the way that the world is run, with our experiences that we have. We prop up this idea that we are far more in control than perhaps we actually are. One of the things that we've been working on this quarantine is uh, spending time with our children, obviously. Asher has been learning how to ride a bike. We started last year, but the bike that we had was a hand-me-down. It was a little too big for him. He couldn't quite get his balance right. He wouldn't get going fast enough to actually learn how to balance on the pedals, get up enough speed to balance. So this year, we started fresh again. And so we were going out, and I was holding onto the back of the seat and trying to get him to go with subtle encouragement. You gotta go faster, bud. You gotta pedal harder. You just worry about steering. I'll hold you. I've got you, right? I'm reassuring him the whole time that I'm actually in control. But there's something deviant going on for me. See, I believe that Asher can ride the bike. He doesn't yet believe that, but I see he's got all the mechanics. I know that he can ride this bike because I see it from a higher perspective, from a different perspective. So while Asher's trust is in me that I'm holding on to the back of that bike, that I'm controlling it for him, in all actuality, my highest goal for our time together is to let go of the bike. Of course, the first time I did this, he was not impressed. He noticed that I had let go of the bike. He fell over a little bit into the grass, and he wanted to be done for the day because it's scary when you're actually in control, when something changes. And I said, no, buddy, I think you got this. Let's try one more time. So the second time we got up, he pushed off a little bit. I let my hands off of it, and then I showed him my hands, which for the first time really freaked him out. You could see him get panicked, but this time he slowed and stopped instead of falling over. Again, he wanted to stop, and I said, nobody, I want you to trust me. And I can see his brain working it out, but you want me to trust you. I want to trust you to hold on to the bike. But you're asking me to trust you to let go of the bike. He didn't like that equation. Nonetheless, I saw something bigger for him. I saw something that he could grow in, excel in. I wanted him to be free to explore on his bike, which is what he wanted too. See, the older boys were riding a little bit further than his scooter could carry him. So there was this relationship between trust and control. You know how the story ends because it ends the same way for almost all of our children, whether it's riding a bike or learning how to swim, whether it's taking the first driving test, whatever stage of losing control you're in. He finally started pedaling. I let go of the bike. I showed him my hands, but this time he wasn't scared. He was excited. The next time I couldn't even show him my hands because he was going so fast and so far. I just had to yell at him, you're doing it, buddy. You're riding the bike. And then I lost him. I have no idea where he went. He's been riding his bike ever since, right? Because that's what kids do. But there's this fantastic dynamic between me seeing more for him than he could see for himself. I wonder how many times in our relationship with God, we're riding the bike and God sees something bigger, something greater, some freedom that he wants to launch us into. We want him to hold on to the bike for us because that's what feels safe, knowing that God is firmly in control of every step. 
And God's saying, yeah, but I want you to ride. I want you to swim, which means your head might go under the water before I pull you back up. Because I'm invested in a far bigger picture than what you can see. So my question for us then is, what does trust look like in that story? Are we trusting that we're never going to fall off the bike? Are we trusting that God is always going to hold on and steady us? Or are we trusting that God has a bigger perspective and that sometimes on that path, we may scrape our knee? Sometimes on that path, we may feel like we're drowning in the water because God didn't catch us first. Sometimes we may lose our job. We may not have the income. Sometimes our kids may feel like they're going astray. Sometimes our relationships may sour and feel bitter. And what we want more than anything is God to be so in control that we don't have any doubts. And I wonder how many times God is going, but I think you can do something greater. I think there's a freedom ahead. I think that you want me to hold on, but I want you to ride free. It's a really interesting dynamic. It's a really interesting story. I think so often we want God to prove himself so that we can trust him. We want God to take the first step, but the reality is that so often God wants us to trust him so that he can prove himself. And that's the piece of faith, right? If God proves himself first, then faith becomes easy. We're just responding. But when we initiate with that faith and that trust, then we have the opportunity for God to show us more and more on the other side. Which is what the verse in Proverbs actually says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Notice the all language in there. The author of this proverb is trying to set the all-encompassing control that God has for everything, even if perhaps he's letting go of the bike. The, the word there for submit, also translated acknowledge, maybe you memorize the verse that way, is yada. Yada is to know in the scripture, and it is the same word that's used in various places for when Adam, yada, he knew Eve. It's not just a head knowledge, it's not just I believe as a concept, but there's a depth of relationship, an intimacy there. I know God because I've been with him through the ups and downs. I've learned to trust him even through skinned knees and being underwater and life not going quite the way that I would plan it out, but I've known him and that knowledge brings trust and that trust brings faith. In all of our ways, we're to acknowledge God. We're to see the bigger picture that he's telling. We're to submit to that reality, to trust that he sees something bigger than we can do. But there's no backup plan, right? There's no half-hearted trusting God. It's like when your daughter or son is standing on the edge of the pool, there's no half-jumping in. You either have to jump in and learn to swim or you stay on the sidelines. See, I fear that sometimes we're choosing to stay on the sidelines instead of trusting God with everything, with all our heart, with all of our actions. 
I've been pondering a quote this week from Tim Keller. It just popped up on my Facebook page, but it says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. I'll only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. If you knew the grander perspective, if you knew the kernel that he saw in you, the flame that he wanted to fan, if you understood that his goal was not to hold on to the bike, but to set you free, if you saw that his goal was not to catch you every time, but to teach you to swim, what would it look like if you adopted that trust in God to know that no matter what was going on, you knew that he was behind the scenes in control? even when it felt like he wasn't. By the way, I think that this is exactly how faith works. This isn't some guilt trip that we should trust God more. How come you don't trust God more? It's an invitation to the journey of faith. The very fact that we're asking these questions, having this conversation about where is God in the midst of a pandemic? Where is God in the midst of tight financial circumstances? Where is God when schools close and we're stuck in the house together and the kids are driving us crazy? Where is God here and now? Those questions don't display a lack of faith. They actually display the most faith which is the ability to wrestle, the ability to go to God and to say, hey, I'm questioning, I have doubt, I want to know what's going on. God doesn't ask for just carte blanche trust. He asks for a relationship, for growth over time. The fact that we have struggles and doubts and areas where we're working on is proof that we're still trying to follow after But I want to put pen to paper here. Maybe you have notes with you. Maybe you want to jot this down in your phone. But this week, I want us to think about this idea. Where is it that we don't fully trust God? So there's a blank on your screen there. Write down this sentence, right? I don't fully trust God. And then fill in the blank. Again, there's no guilt. I'm not going to manipulate you here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I don't fully trust God because I'm human. We're not yet made perfect. I don't fully trust God in a pandemic, in an economic shutdown. I don't fully trust God when my world is completely upside down. I'm having a hard time seeing his goodness. I don't trust God with my finances. I have to be in control of that. I have a hard time fully trusting God with my kids that he's going to take care of them, that they're going to turn out okay. I have a hard time trusting God with sharing my faith. I did it one time and and I'm not going to do that again because of the way that I was treated. I don't fully trust God that he's good because things happened and they were bad and I don't know how to reconcile that. Maybe I don't fully trust that God is sovereign, that he's over all and above all, because right now my life feels so out of control. I don't fully trust God with my relationships. I don't fully trust him with my present circumstances. I don't fully trust him with my future and what's going to happen. I've got anxiety about that. I don't trust God with my past because someone hurt me and I haven't gotten over that and there's been no way for me to move forward in my relationship with God. And again, I just want to bring you encouragement. This is all of us. 
None of us have yet been made perfected. We are all on this journey of faith, striving to find more and more of God in our lives. And part of the journey forward is to wrestle with these questions of control, of trust, of doubt, of fear, and going, what's the next step that we need to take? So what is the next step that you need to take in order to grow in your trust with God? The first step, I would say, is be honest. Be honest. Nothing is gained when you are honest with yourself, honest with God, right? So often I think we buy this lie that the church is a pure and holy place. And so when we come to church, we have to be sparkling and clean and put our smile on and not have any problems. The reality is far from that. I actually am falling more in love with the Psalms the longer that I journey with Jesus because the Psalms are full of both praises and of of just anger and animosity, right? David is going, God is always there for me. And then the next line, he's going, why have you forsaken me, God? In one line, he's talking about how much he loves the Lord and his blessings. And in the other line, he's asking that his enemies be cut down and destroyed. And it's just all over the place. But it reminds me that the journey of our faith doesn't have to be perfectly straight. There are ups, there are downs, there are twists, there are turns. And the benefit of that is that we can bring our whole authentic self before God. We can bring ourselves there so that God can fully speak into us. He's not surprised by who we are under the surface. And he desires us to bring ourselves, our full selves, warts and all, into his presence. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He sent Jesus to be the perfection for us and to make a way so that we might have relationship with him. Doubt is not the opposite to faith. And if you want to grow in your trust in God, if you want to grow in your faith, it's going to take some shed tears. It's going to take some honesty. It's going to take some skinned knees. Your head might go under the water a time or two, but you have to bring your full self to the table. Number two, if you want to grow in your trust with God, here's my encouragement. Get back on the bike. Get back on the bike. Maybe you stopped praying because God didn't answer your prayer. Maybe you had too many questions about the Bible and so you stopped reading it, you stopped trusting it. Maybe someone hurt you and you stopped trusting people that they had your best interests. Maybe you were ridiculed for your faith and so now you guard it. What step is God asking you more for, more to do, to trust him more? And I'm going to be honest, that's going to mean you might fall off the bike again. It's going to mean there might be pain ahead. But the greater perspective is that if it's pain for a purpose, that's not going to harm us ultimately. God is asking for more trust from you. He wants to grow in his relationship with you. He wants you to trust him more. And he's not even asking you to do it blindly. He's giving you the invitation to trust him. And as your trust in him grows, as your relationship with him grows, as your knowledge with him grows, as you practice riding the bike and swimming in the pool and reading your Bible and prayer and a hundred other disciplines, that your faith in him would grow. That's my prayer for you this week that you would in fact trust in the Lord with all your heart, that you would bring your full self into the picture with him no matter what's going on in your life, and that instead of trusting in your own ideas and understanding, that you would instead trust his wisdom, 
perhaps displayed for you in a 6,000-year-old truth text that's defining who he is. And instead of trusting your gut, maybe going with his words to you. And that as you grow in your trust and knowledge and faith in him, that you would yadah him, know him, grow in your loving trust for him, and in doing so, that he would make your paths straight, even if that means a few skinned knees and shed tears. My prayer for you is that you'd get back on the bike, because there's freedom and hope and wholeness on the other side. Be blessed this week.